1: We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. He's back from Orlando, Florida, and he brought an award home with him.
0: Yeah, that was pretty cool to, uh, to get the award best podcast interview. We had a Ryder Cup preview with Major Ed, told some great stories, had a lot of fun, so came back with some hardware. It was a good week in Orlando. You got to tell me more. How was, uh, how was John Daly
1: at uh, your, your live podcast at Hooters?
0: John Daly was so stereotypically John Daly, you can't even believe it. Imagine, he's everything that you thought he would be. He walks in. First off, he's he's roughly two-ish hours late or so coming in, which is what you would expect. He was there. He was just out on his bus in the parking lot, uh, just smoking and smoking and smoking. So he comes in, walks in the front door. It takes him half an hour to get from the front door back to where the stage is for the music, which is about 100 feet. Everybody's mobbing him. He's just taking every selfie, autographing, just being nice to everybody. Uh, got the Santa look going. He gets up. He, he's loud on the music. He's cussing. He's drinking. It's just he was stereotypically John Daly. We, we were worried for a second that we weren't going to get him on and we weren't going to pay off the tees. Finally, at about 11 o'clock Tuesday night, after we had all been up for about 22 hours to get our flights down there, we finally got Daly on. Uh, it was a blast. They were awesome uh, major ed squares, the, the people that were hosting us were great. So, uh, yeah, it was a blast. He was, he was every bit of what you would expect. And he made me take my tiger woods hat off for the picture. So if you wonder why in every picture <laughs> that night, except the ones with John Daly, I'm wearing a tiger woods hat. It's cause he's like, yep, no tiger woods hats in my pictures. What's he got against tiger? Oh, it was he he said it very tongue in cheek, very joking. And I even told him, I was like, Hey, the last time you and Tiger shared a golf course, you walked away with a trophy. And when I said that, he was like, Yeah, you know what? You're right. You're right about that. So it, it was very tongue in cheek.
1: Yeah, they uh John and his kid won that tournament against Tiger and uh Charlie. So yeah, you're right. You're definitely right about that. That's awesome. Sounds like you had a good time. And again, congrats to the seventy-third Hole podcast winning an award. I mean, we need to we need to win an award. Pistols Firing Podcast. I don't think it's won any awards, so I gotta, get, I gotta get that done. I gotta submit more, uh, more resumes for awards because uh, that's that's awesome. Congratulations to you guys.
0: I just hope that we don't submit to the NCAA for awards because I don't think we'd be considered. They'd get us banned
1: and taken off Spotify and any other platform you
0: listen to. <laughs> well, we probably just get a one-year ban from uh, talking about any postseason sports. Only regular season.
1: Yeah. Gosh, don't get me started on that.
0: Uh, while you were away, Colby, we kind of
1: speculated on this, but it's become uh, official. Derek Mason is the new defensive coordinator at Oklahoma State. Uh, we don't know yet how much he's going to be paid. He was making $1.5 million at Auburn. But, Colby, as we kind of talked about last time around, this is a, this is a pretty impressive hire for Mike Gundy.
0: Yeah, it is. You go to the SEC and you take somebody away, and look, I know that Auburn's not Alabama, Auburn's not Georgia, Auburn's not LSU – But Auburn's a big-time program. Auburn's won a national championship within the last decade. Uh, Auburn is a a school that pops up and beats Alabama every few years in a big rivalry game. It's a big deal to go poach their defensive coordinator who's making a million and a half in that conference because, Carson, everybody knows that's the conference where you want to go coach defense to elevate yourself to the next level. Well, I mean, you look at what Jim Knowles did in Stillwater. Derek Mason's looking over here, and he's thinking – I mean, look, I can elevate my name at Oklahoma State. Look what they just did for Jim Knowles. That's a big-time program playing big-time defense, and now I get to take that over, and a lot of good players are still going to be taking the field for Oklahoma State next year despite what that defense lost. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't shocking. We the, the, It was kind of in the tea leaves there for a week or two, but to see it finalized and see it come together, that's big time. It's, it's a big-time hire for Mike Gundy and for the program.
1: Yeah. I mean, we heard a lot of talk from Mike after the bowl win, even leading up to the bowl game against Notre Dame about the commitment that is needed, the commitment he believes that is there from Chad Weiberg and Dr. Casey Schrum. And it's been a lot of talk. It's been a lot of mantra. It's been a lot of promotion. And this hire to me from hiring Derek Mason is backing up that talk. They are making a serious commitment to football at Oklahoma state and in going to get a coordinator from Auburn who's making $1.5 million is a big statement. No more of the hirings of of guys at schools you didn't know existed that are completely off the map that you don't have to pay a bunch and you think will likely stay. This is a, a hire that you hope if it comes to fruition the way they're hoping that Derek Mason gets hired away to be a head coach because that would mean that he's continued the success that Jim Knowles has built on defense and OSU had a really great year on defense and you don't ever want to hire coordinators hoping they will stay. If someone, if someone hires them as a head coach, that means it's been great for Oklahoma state and you go hire the next guy. So I think this is a huge statement from Mike Gundy and company that all of the talk about committing all the resources they had to football and, and trying to take the next step to becoming an elite football program This to me is is a sign that they're they're gonna walk the walk as well as talk the talk.
0: Yeah, to me, I've never understood the idea of wanting your coordinators to stay. It's the exact opposite. If your coordinator is if you have a coordinator for a decade, I mean, the the venable situation at Clemson is a rarity. If you have a coordinator who is doing a good job, somebody's coming to get that guy, guaranteed, every single time. So the idea that you want your coordinator to be there for a decade. No, I want my coordinator to be there for about three years. It's enough time for him to be in the program embed himself, have a ton of success. And then once he's had a ton of success, somebody hires him to be a head coach, you go get the next guy, you do it over again. You want your coordinators getting hired because if your coordinators are getting hired, that means you've been winning games and you've been doing it on that side of the ball. So hopefully Derek Mason's around for a few years and gets a head coaching job because the results are equivalent to what they were under Jim Knowles. And I'll say this, Carson. In 2011, after that 2011 season, the iron was hot, and they didn't strike. It, it, you know, it, it, they didn't build on it. Within a couple of years, that was a program that was, uh, you, you know, a punt return away from being 5-7 and, and and missing out on a bowl game in one of the longest streaks of above 500 football in the entire nation. And after 2021 season, after the 2021 season, the iron's hot again. And they're, they're looking to strike this time, Carson. So I'm impressed with the mentality of Mike Gundy, of the leadership at Oklahoma State, of the program, of the institution, for going out and trying to make it happen in what is such a crucial time because it's such a period of change in college football. And you need to be positioned for what comes next once these conferences have realigned themselves. And I think Oklahoma State's trying to put themselves in the absolute best position possible for when that day comes a few years from now. And it just it takes money, it takes resources.
1: And you look at staffs in the SEC that are like they've got like I think I think the staff at, at Florida that they've built with Billy Napier has like 50 people on the on the football staff. Like that it takes a lot of resources. That's what Oklahoma State's going up against from the national perspective in terms of money, resources, and commitment. And I think hiring a, a name like Derek Mason is, is, is a sign of that. And I, I don't even necessarily blame Mike Gundy when I bring up, you know, hiring coordinators so they'll stay. I think Mike just got a little burned back to back to back when, you know, Larry Fedora leaves to be the head coach at Southern Miss. Then Todd Munkin's only there a couple of years. He, he made that famous quote of he needs to start, hire coach Gundy's coaches.com. I think he was so – off-put by getting poached so quickly and really kind of taking him off guard or catching him off guard that that's why he decided to start going some of those routes with some of those coordinators we hadn't heard of thinking they would stay and and it worked out wonderfully with Mike Yursich I'm not even being critical about some of those hires but I think Mike has realized that he had to make a big hire here to to continue the momentum that they have And, and you're right you're so right Colby like After the 2011 season, I really thought that was a a monumental, not power shift from Oklahoma necessarily, because we all know what Oklahoma is as a football program, but more so Oklahoma State being in that conversation for a playoff or winning the Big 12 every single year kind of They've had they've been the second winningest program in the Big Twelve over the last decade, so it's not as if they've just fallen off the map since 2011. And I'm not saying you you were suggesting that, but it just didn't it feel like Colby they were going to be right there for the foreseeable future, and, and it hadn't worked out that way. Now maybe this year, coming off the win against Notre Dame, coming off this, how close they were to winning the Big Twelve, that they will strike when the iron's hot. But I I kind of felt like you did, Colby, where it was kind of a missed opportunity, especially with how
0: far Texas has been down over the last 10 years. Yeah, no doubt. It's, it's Oklahoma state's been a better program than Texas. Oklahoma state, uh, obviously hasn't been at the same level as Oklahoma, Oklahoma winning those six titles in a row under Lincoln Riley, who apparently I didn't realize it uh, until just the last few weeks, Carson, he's a terrible head coach. And I didn't know that, but all I've seen on social media is that he's terrible and his teams are soft. They won those six straight big 12 titles though. So something was going right. Um, Oklahoma State has been such a good program over the last decade without any real, like, name recognition or without, like, the big leap that you see from a Clemson and a Georgia and some of these other teams. And those are tough leaps to make. The amount of money that, like, the Georgias and Clemsons have poured into their football program, I mean, what Oklahoma State has done financially just pales in comparison to that. But on that next tier, Oklahoma State's in kind of that next tier of schools that have just kind of been hovering. They've been really good programs, but it just takes a perfect storm to make a leap in college football. I've talked about it for a year with you, Carson. There are the haves and the have-nots in college football. And if you're not in the club, it is so hard to get in the club. It takes so much money. It takes so many resources. It takes a little bit of luck and a few of the right guys to get in the club if you're not already in. And Oklahoma State's trying to inch their way in. It's just it's a process, Carson. It takes patience, but it also takes the right moves at the right time. And after a big-time season what, like, like what Oklahoma State just had, you lose the best defensive coordinator in school history, and you go out and hire a guy that a lot of people would have wanted. That, that just kind of shows that they're on the right track. So hopefully this is a, a small step in the direction of kind of that big leap that we've all been hoping that Oklahoma State could make for the last decade.
1: Yeah, I mean I'm I'm excited about the hire, but I also want to temper it a little bit in that I think a lot of people examining this hire have really made, I don't want to say they've made Derek Mason into, you know, the second coming of you know the greatest defensive coach, Bill Belichick, whoever you want to name. I do think it's a good hire. It's a it's a great hire, I feel like the way we've just discussed. But I also don't want to go overboard, if that makes sense. I mean, he's been a a longtime coach. He obviously coached at Stanford. He was under uh, Harbaugh and Shaw when they were the head coach at Stanford. And he went to the NFL before that with the Minnesota Vikings and was the head coach at Vanderbilt and just one year as the D.C. at Auburn. So it's not as if, Colby, that they are hiring – the number like like Brent Venables from Clemson, you know what I'm saying? So I, I don't want to get too carried away by it. I do think it's a big statement from the higher-ups in Stillwater, but I also don't think it's an absolute slam dunk that they're going to be as good defensively moving forward either. I, I do think there are some question marks with him coming to the Big 12 and learning a new conference as well. So I, I don't know if any of that makes sense, Colby. I'm just trying not to, to make it sound like it's the greatest hire ever in the history of football either.
0: Look, Carson, I I feel the same way. I would be shocked if next year's defense was as good as this past season's defense. Just not even because those guys next year aren't going to be good. Those guys are going to be good. But how do you top the best defense in school history? I mean, it was, by every metric, the second best defense in the country behind Georgia. And Georgia had, you know, 15 NFL guys on that side of the ball. And Oklahoma State was the next best in the country. Just across the board. How do you top that? I don't think that you do in the very next year, but Derek Mason just needs to come in and it needs to it needs to look similar. It, it's not going to be as good. You lose Malcolm Rodriguez, you lose Devin Harper. That is the heart and soul of that defense. And I don't want this to come off as like, I don't believe in, in the guys on next year's team. I do. I believe that Colin Oliver and Trace Ford coming off the edges, I believe that's going to be a problem, problem. For a lot of people to deal with. Uh, you know, Brock Martin is gonna be a problem. I think Jabbar Muhammad out on the edge could be a problem at corner, but you lose Christian Holmes, you lose Jark Bernard Converse, who's gonna go down uh to LSU and play down there, and best of luck to him. But Derek Mason just needs to come in. It needs to look good, it needs to look clean, they need to be aggressive, they need to get stops on third down. E- even if next year Oklahoma State has the 15th best defense in the country, And that's still a really good defense. And yes, to an extent, Mason is going to be compared to the Jim Knowles curve. But again, best defense in school history, one of the best in the country. It's just hard to run that out every single season. So great hire, but don't expect Oklahoma State to lead the country in, you know, just every defensive uh, statistic and category because the reality is, Carson, that's just not how these things work. It's hard to stack back-to-back seasons on top of each other like that.
1: Yeah, it is, and just God, they were so old and experienced were the was the defensive players, and they've lost many of those guys. But I, I do expect them to be really good again uh, next year. It is an odd situation. Auburn's offensive coordinator stepped down today for quote personal reasons, and it was speculated that Mason wanted to get away from Brian Harson, who's still the coach at Auburn. It's a very very strange situation, we'll say, in Auburn. That's led him to Stillwater, which is, I think, good for OSU. But uh, an article on 247 Sports on Auburn's version of the site uh, states that Mason's defense is primarily operated out of a 3-4 front and uh, would look a lot different than what OSU has been accustomed to with the four-two-five. But get this, Colby, at Auburn, Mason used a good amount of a two-four-five defense with outside linebackers essentially acting as edge rushers. So guys like Colin Oliver, Trace Ford, Brock Martin, they could play with their hands on the ground and do all sorts of things, rushing the passer. That's a very interesting thing to me, and that seems to fit what Mike Gundy's looking for, is how do we get Oliver, Ford, and Martin on the field at the same time and let them
0: get after the quarterback? That, that's music to my ears. Yeah, that's the nightmare scenario for opposing offenses is that those guys are all coming at the same time or that they're all showing that they're going to come and then one of them drops out and you don't know who's coming, who's not. It makes uh, blocking schemes an absolute nightmare against Oklahoma State. Yes, I expect it to look different. Uh, to look different, I, I think even if Knowles had stuck around, it might look a little different. Your personnel's different. You coach to your personnel uh, and you try to make it fit your system. It, it's very much a, a yin and yang there, a give and take between system and personnel Derek Mason has been doing this a long time. I expect him to come in, realize what he has, especially with those three guys that we just mentioned, Brock Martin, Colin Oliver, and Trace Ford, and just try to let them go out there and do what they're so naturally good at. They're just so athletic, so good at rushing the quarterback and at making plays in the open field. Uh, I expect him to, to get the absolute most specifically out of those three guys. Yeah, that's going
1: to be fun to watch. So big time hire for Mike Gundy and company. Did, did you see the video of, of Derek Mason's halftime interview when he was the head coach at Vanderbilt? Oh, yeah. Uh, a big time energy from Derek Mason. And I'd want, I'd want to play for that guy. But yeah, uh, yeah that's going to be awesome. And again, like I mentioned on the last show, like I don't think it's a coincidence that you know David Cutcliffe, the, the head coach at Duke at the time, who was the coach of Jim Knowles, was in the coach's room with Mike Gundy during the national title game, and so was Derek Mason. So both defensive coordinator coordinator hires that Mike Gundy's had to make the last two years could be linked back to the uh, that one appearance in ESPN for uh, for Mike Gundy. It's kind of crazy how the coaching world works, but I think it's a big-time hire.
0: Yeah, it absolutely is. Next year, we need to get Mike Gundy doing the coaches' room with... Uh, I don't know, Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, and let's call it Sean McVay, and, and we'll call it a day. Do it every year. Gundy's, Gundy was so good
1: on that, too. He, like, started, like, commanding the room the entire broadcast because he was just so much better at it than the other guys. And that's one thing about the SEC and ESPN's relationship that's disappointing, Colby, is this year they only had A&M. It was just Jimbo and, like, his guys, which, yeah. you know, two I SEC schools the- playing, I get
0: it, but still. <laughs> I think Gundy is the best that's been done on that, on, on the coaches watching the national championship game. I don't think anybody's done it better than Gundy because like you said, he commanded the room. He he gave us more than I think some of the other guys give us. He was very well-spoken. He, he articulated everything in a clear manner. It was easy for people to understand. I, I think that as far as just that coach's room on that broadcast goes, I don't think anybody's done that particular element of it better than Mike Gundy. Yeah, and like...
1: It was, I remember I started like clipping highlights of it and I couldn't stop because he was doing, he was giving such good quotable information. And you're right. I think Mike has a real future in TV. Should he want it? Should he, uh, when he ever retires, um, if he wants to get into TV, I think he'd be, he'd be excellent at it. That, which goes without saying. Uh, Less positive news on the basketball front, Colby, Oklahoma state loses to Florida. They gave up a huge halftime lead. And um, apparently Mike Boynton's been uh, getting after his team. He had some some interesting things to say today.
0: Yeah, he did. There was about a two-minute video that was posted where he was talking about pizza. But he wasn't talking about pizza. He was talking about being selfish on the basketball court. And he's like, you know, we got guys over here with two pieces of pepperoni on their slice. And they're looking over here wondering why this guy has six pieces of pepperoni on their slice. And he brought up something that was really interesting and something that maybe we even should have seen coming. You're dealing with young people. You're dealing with a very unique situation and he started talking about the NCAA decision and, and how the goals that they laid out for themselves in July, August, September, those were all taken away by the NCAA. So, all of the team goals, everything you want to accomplish as a unit, you can't accomplish. They're not going to let you. The people who run it are not going to let you. So, I mean, naturally, these 19, 20, 21 year olds who, you know, you've got to take care of yourself start thinking about, okay, what does an NBA scout see when they watch me play basketball? And then all of a sudden you start playing a little more for me and a little less for we, and, and this was a quote, this wasn't in the, uh, the, the two minute video, but Jacob Undra, who covers Oklahoma state tweeted this out this afternoon and said, this is a direct quote from Mike Boynton on battling the player's tendency to get their own with no postseason chances. Mike Boynton said, this is life. Bad shit happens, you don't get to pout about it forever, and then turn what's supposed to be a team game into a game about me. Carson, I don't know about you, but in the modern era, it is so rare to see a coach publicly call his players out, especially for something like being selfish, but... It explains a lot of what we've seen on that end of the floor, Carson, because the ball movement has been abysmal. The offense is just totally in a tank, and it's like one guy pops up with 25, another guy pops up with 34, and it just seems totally erratic. So I would have to assume that these are conversations that have been had behind closed doors, and they didn't work, and now Mike Boynton's airing it out for everybody to see. So I'll be curious to see what this looks like going forward as to how it looks on that end of the floor for Oklahoma State. Yeah, I
1: think as a head coach – you have certain cards you can play. And I think he's, this is one card that he didn't want to use, but I think he feels like the time has come where something's got to change. And he's, he's playing this card now to where he he does air it publicly. And I think a lot of what he's talking about to me kind of explains some of the, the questions you and I have had throughout the season regarding minutes for certain players. You know, I look at, I look at a guy like Caleb Boone who he was on the milk carton uh, one of those weeks that you had him on there. And, he plays seven minutes against Florida, and this is got a guy who was one of the most important players, maybe the most important besides Cade Cunningham last year, other than Avery Anderson's you know, final 10, 11 games of the season. When he exploded, Caleb Boone was like the second most important guy in the whole team, and now he's playing seven minutes. And I don't, I don't know if, if Mike was talking about him specifically or if it's a, the entire team or what, but that to me, that does answer some of the questions you and I have had about just some of the sporadic minutes that are going around.
0: Yeah, you know, and again, we're not behind the scenes, so it's so hard to speculate. But when he comes out and says something like this, then you go back, right? You go back and you look at some of these games and you start to, to read into what he's saying and, and look at how it all works out. Now, look, selfish basketball doesn't explain away the free throw shooting, but I think it can explain away some of the other stuff where there's no rhythm on that end of the floor. And if you're the coach and you feel like a guy's not doing what needs to be done, maybe that guy gets gets some fewer minutes. And again, we're not there. We're not at practices. It's so hard to speculate about some of this stuff. But this was really eye-opening for me today because coaches just don't do this. In the modern era, in the transfer portal era, go out and put your team on blast publicly for something like selfishness. I mean, that's a big thing to lobby against an offensive basketball player, especially in college basketball, is that he is selfish, that he's looking out for me instead of the team. I mean, that's a serious thing to allege about your team. And for him to get to that point where he felt like he needed to say what he said today, I mean, some things must not be going 100% well behind the scenes because, look, you did have your team goals ripped away. And that's not fair. And that's not right. But it's like he said, this is life. It's not fair. It's not. When something bad happens, I mean, what, what are you going to do? How, how long are you going to be upset before you just decide to make the best out of a bad situation? Oklahoma State's not doing that right now, Carson. Oklahoma State's 10-10 and 10 on the season. 500 through 20 games, that's not what the doctor ordered. Blowing a 16-point lead to Florida on Saturday. And, and I'm telling you, Carson, that second half was one of the most abysmal halves of offensive basketball. I was miserably, miserably sick on Saturday. So I did not get up off the couch for about six straight hours. And I watched this basketball game start to finish. And that second half, I mean, I was was more sick when the game ended than I was at halftime. Let's put it that way, because it was... It was hard to watch some of those offensive possessions where they were totally scatterbrained, they were rattled, they were turning the ball over, Uh, you know, seemingly every possession, turnovers outweighed, made field goals in that second half. It was just – it was really tough to watch. And and to see Boynton get to where he got to today was a a pretty big deal. And I fully expect a response from this team on Wednesday night. Uh, And if we don't get that, then maybe they're not exactly who we thought they were.
1: Yeah, they might not be anyway. And you're right. I mean, they've lost three in a row now, which again is a really frustrating stretch. The Texas game got away from them. Uh the Iowa State game, which you and I haven't really talked about yet. I had a few notes from that game that we needed to discuss. But they they've lost three in a row. They got K State Wednesday night, and then it's Bedlam on Saturday at eleven AM. Why is that game at eleven AM? Is that just Bob Bowsby sticking it to OU one one more time?
0: I don't know. I eleven AM for a basketball game? I don't know. On Saturday? I, I, I can't I couldn't tell you it makes no sense, yeah, for bedlam, bedlam at eleven rooster kick maybe off for bedlam. maybe
1: that's east Coast time, hopefully, but I don't think it is
0: no no, it's an it's an eleven o'clock game. I yeah. looked
1: earlier today, yeah okay, it's an eleven o'clock game uh while you were away, I you lost to Iowa State in overtime, uh the milk carton player of the week has taken <laughs> off in in your absence because. You put Caleb Boone on a milk carton. He has one of his better games. Then Avery Anderson explodes for 34 points after you put him on the milk carton. I'm trying to get this segment sponsored,
0: Colby. You're on a heater. We, uh, so... Wednesday we get to dinner it was I think we played golf Wednesday when we were in Orlando and I kind of forgot about the basketball game because you're just gone uh working doing stuff so busy and then I checked Twitter whenever we sat down to dinner and I had like 15 notifications and it's like uh milk carton milk carton milk carton one guy asked if I could put him on the milk carton so that uh, he was up for a promotion at work so he wanted to go on the milk carton and then I checked the box score and Avery was I think he was like 22 points or something at that point so I turned it on and watched the rest of the game and that one to me Carson. That was the heartbreaker of the last couple of weeks. It's at home. It's against a top 25 opponent. You, you get a good look with three seconds left in regulation. You get a good look. You think, I mean, that ball looked like it was in the entire way. It rattles out from Avery and then you just barely lose to that team in overtime. That's the heartbreaker because that just makes it feel so much different. Four and four in conference versus three and five and and being 500 feels so much different than being two games against uh, two games over 500 that was a real heartbreaker. But, uh, yeah, the milk carton has definitely caught on. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't see the obvious candidate this week, though. Carson, we, we've put the guys on, and they've had big weeks. I, I don't know where the obvious candidate comes from this week. Uh,
1: could you make a case for Mike Boynton calling out his team? Does that yeah. does that get a milk carton status? Like, I guess we already found him because he called out his team. Maybe that doesn't really apply to the milk carton rules. I don't know. You're the originator of the milk carton. You tell me.
0: Yeah, I don't know that it applies to Boynton because t- to me, I watch a guy on the court and I can tell, you know, it- is he shooting the ball well, playing good defense. Uh, I'm not an X's and O's guru in basketball by any means. Uh, you know, most of us, I think, study football much more in depth than we study basketball. You watch basketball, you can tell if a guy's playing well that night. You can tell if he's getting his shots up. You can tell if his man's getting around him, stuff like that. I, I-, I can't tell you what all a college basketball coach does throughout a game. I can't tell you what all a college basketball coach does throughout the week. So if I were looking at anybody right now, I mean, Carson, where is the offense that I think we all expected from Musa Cisse, the freshman of the year last year in whatever conference it is that Memphis plays in? He, he has the size, the shot-blocking ability, the defensive ability to be just a really good player and, and to make a roster at the next level at his size he's averaging six points a game. I mean, I don't know about you. Did, did you expect more from Say this year on that end of the floor? Because maybe, maybe that's my fault for high expectations, but I think I
1: did. Yeah, I, I certainly didn't expect him to average 15 or more, but I, I do agree that I didn't think he would be this limited offensively at all, especially when you consider their lack of outside shooting throughout the entire roster. You would think on a team that struggles in the half court a team that struggles overall in general offensively making field goal attempts they'd want to dump it down to the guy who's a foot taller than just about everybody that, that guards him and let him just turn around and dunk it so no I'm I think that's a good candidate I like the, I like the moves to see say I I'm going with Avery Anderson again again he he explodes for 34 points looks like the player we saw at the end of last year and then it's just a it's a virtual no-show against against Florida I don't I don't know. To me, that's the biggest enigma of the whole season thus far is what has happened to Avery Anderson, a guy that legitimately tested the NBA waters. And then part of Mike Boynton's two minute uh, answer today was saying he doesn't have any first round picks on his roster. And that's certainly a kid coming into this year that thought he was going to be a first round pick. And he plays yeah. 21 minutes against Florida, has nine points, three of eight from the field. Uh, I'm going to go with Avery Anderson again. I just, um, I think, I think his up-and-down struggles this year have, have mirrored the results for Oklahoma State. And it was encouraging to see him score 34, Colby, but just the way this frustrating season's played out, he gets a wide-open layup, and it rims out, but Musa Cisse interferes with the bucket while it's still somewhat in the cylinder, which the call could have gone either way. I think it was somewhat in the cylinder still. But that goaltending kind of is what, what let the game slip away for Oklahoma State against against Iowa
0: State. Yeah, I certainly think that that's reasonable. I just didn't want to put him on there uh, twice in two weeks. But, yeah, I mean, and the crazy thing is, Carson, he was testing the NBA waters last year, and nobody thought that that was wild. Nobody was like, dude, what are you doing? Why are you testing the NBA waters? You're crazy. Your, Your game's not at that level yet. And then now we're sitting here a year later on a team where he should just be, you know, racking it up game after game, just numbers, statistics. He's a scorer. That's what he does his whole life. His high school scoring records are unbelievable. What he was able to do last year when Cade went out, he, he was just, he's a certified bucket, man. And that's just kind of gone away to a, a year ago at the end of the season. We're like, yeah, go test the NBA waters. There might be something there. And now we're looking at him thinking – I mean, this guy needs another year in college. His game just isn't at that level yet. So I I don't know. The season certainly isn't over. Uh, There's still, what, 10 games to be played in conference. There's a lot of basketball left, and this team can turn it around. But uh, I really think that Mike Boynton especially is looking at this as a make-or-break point of the season. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said what he said today. So, uh, yeah, I agree. Avery Anderson's a big part of that, and Oklahoma State needs him to show up this week with two very winnable games in what is a just massively tough conference.
1: Did you happen to see my Gallagher-Iba arena conspiracy theory? I think a lot of people want me to expand on this. (laughs) I did not. Fire away. Well, I've discussed it with Kyle in the past on the show. And again, Kyle and I had scheduling conflicts. I was going to have him on the pod. But since I did that emergency episode with Seth Duckworth, I postponed that with Kyle. But I think in years past, my dad has always speculated on this. And I shared it one time on the pod. And then an old timer emailed us or wrote on one of the for, like the pistols firing forum about it. So the theory is that because of the dimensions of Gallagher Iba, the fans sitting so close, just the overall dimensions of where the basket sits to where the fans are in relation, it, my dad always speculated that it reminded a lot of college basketball players of playing in their high school gyms. And I think he came up with this back when it was old Gallagher, when it basically looked like an oversized high school gymnasium and I think and and believe me I know this sounds like the the worst fan who's ever lived that says you know that they only make shots against my team I I understand how this sounds I do but there's been a long a lot of series of events that can that can fully support this and I wish I could find that guy's original message board post or or email because he he had been going to games longer than my dad and was, he was like, yes, this is totally a thing. He brought up several examples. And he, against Iowa State, Colby, they shoot 43% from three, and they're just throwing in buckets from all over the place with, with hands in their faces. An example that always sticks out to me, in my opinion, is Tony Crocker going off for like 30 back when Blake Griffin played at Oklahoma at Gallagher. But Tony Crocker hasn't scored that many points, in his college career practically going into that game. And he just, he, he hits it from everywhere. So I tweeted about it. I said, nothing will convince me. Otherwise that teams just shoot out of their minds in Galgariba due to the dimensions and, and the way it's set up. And again, I realize I sound like crazy OSU guy, crazy OSU fan. Uh, I could go to several other examples of just ridiculous opponent shooting performances, but I thought Iowa state was the, uh, the latest example because they were, They were throwing it in from everywhere, Colby. It was ridiculous. That's
0: that's interesting that you bring that up. So you almost – are you trying to make the argument that Oklahoma State maybe has a home court disadvantage? I wouldn't go that far.
1: I would just say I I wish I had the data to support the notion that teams shoot better on the road in in Gallagher-Iba Arena than they do in other – road venues. I I think I can go there based on, it just, it suits their eyes. I mean, you, Colby, you can probably think of a hundred examples and I'm sure every college basketball fan probably can too. I'm just saying Gallagher-Iba is a unique arena. It's not like most, like just compare Gallagher-Iba to Lloyd Noble. Like that's a, that's a a cavern compared to to Gallagher-Iba. Think back to when Oklahoma played Villanova in the final four. I was there in Houston that the massive reliant arena there was some buddy healed in them. Couldn't hit a shot because it was such a different wide open environment. Whereas Gallagher, totally compact, like a high school gym. I think, I just think guys are used to that, the look of where that rim is. And some people brought up to me that the rims at Gallagher are super soft. Like they have a lot of give to them. And I think there's, there's something to be said for that. But for me, it's more about the dimensions.
0: Okay, that's interesting because uh, I had a similar conversation with Sam and Taylor that I do the the 73rd hole pod with when we were in Orlando. We were talking about football, and I said that I think the Packers, who are well-known for Lambeau Field and everything crazy at Lambeau Field, I said that I think the Packers have, for the last 10 to 15 years, had the biggest home field disadvantage in the NFL. It gets cold. You take away your best weapon. The one Super Bowl Aaron Rodgers won. He played zero home games. I think it's the biggest home field disadvantage in the NFL, but everybody thinks it's this huge advantage. It's weird, Carson, because like you said, I don't have the data in front of me, but it sure feels like guys shoot the lights out of it at Gallagher. It sure feels like guys walk into that arena, and for whatever reason... It's just like you said, it's like a golfer stepping up to a golf hole and it just fits your eye. Like you just, you like that hole. You want to play that hole. You know that whatever you do there, it just looks right. For whatever reason, guys come in from Iowa state the other night and it just looks right. I mean, that shot the guy hit with what 30 seconds left in regulation, the step back 18 footer hand in his face, just pure (laughs) nylon. I mean, how good is that shot? So again, don't have the data in front of me, but I kind of like your theory yeah that's that's
1: certainly one of them i'll I'll never forgive my dad for um, he ended the streak of I think Eddie Sutton had a really massive streak of of winning non-conference home games and we were going to a game. It was Florida Atlantic back before Florida Atlantic even had a football program. It's like I was like Florida Atlantic what, what is this a school and we were walking the game and I'll never forget it. My dad said they're not losing to Florida Atlantic tonight. I was like, "Well, what if this happens?" He's like, no, they're not losing this game. And Florida Atlantic shot like seventy percent from the field and, and won. <laughs> it was like it ended Eddie's like ninety game whatever streak it was of winning non conference home games. And so that was kind of the genesis of it. And it, it and Tony Crocker's when I really just accepted it as this is a thing. And so again, I know I sound crazy. I know it sounds stupid. It probably is. But it's just funny to me that someone I don't even know who just happened to listen to the podcast, who's an old-timer, had already been discussing this theory with his buddies for the last 30 years. So maybe there's something to it, maybe not, but a lot of people tweeted at me wanting further explanation for my ridiculous uh, tweet, but there it is.
0: I like it. It's okay to just throw out a theory every now and then. Sometimes they're just fun. Sometimes they're just fun, and sometimes we just – we, we need to make ourselves feel better by explaining why the other team is having such great success on our court. Well, and believe me, I, you don't
1: remember the times the team came in and shot 30% from three against you and you won right. going away. You don't remember that. You remember when they lit it up. I, I, I fully understand all that. I realize all these things, but I'm just the messenger. So that's, that was my uh, conspiracy theories with Carson segment as, to go along with our, our milk carton segment. Uh, OSU wrestling loses to an unranked foe. Speaking of losing, uh, to unranked, uh, non-conference opponents, uh, Northern Iowa, are they in the big 12 now in wrestling? I'm, I've already uh, outed yes. myself here. Yes. I'm almost certain they are. Uh, it's the first, uh, it became the first night Oklahoma state lost their wrestling duel to an unranked opponent since 1993. Were you even born at that point, Colby?
0: Just barely. I was, uh, I was a little infant at that point, September of 92. So just barely.
1: Yeah. And so of course they're still dealing with, you know, AJ Ferrari's out uh, the guy who replaced him, Gavin stick won, one, but they, they do lose to Northern Iowa. So it's been a rough go lately for, for John Smith's wrestling program, but I did want to mention that. And hopefully again, I, I really appreciate Seth Duckworth coming on the podcast to discuss everything that was happening with AJ Ferrari. Just, Colby, you haven't got a chance to talk about it yet. But, man, Casey Dunn pulls him from his car as it's on fire. Just a crazy story. And fortunately, it sounds like AJ is going to be able to make a full recovery at some point. I don't know when.
0: It was last Monday night. I was trying to get to bed early because we had to – I think I had an alarm set for 4 a.m. the next morning to get to the airport. And then the, the Ferrari news comes out, and there's no updates. And that's the hard thing, right? When you're just sitting and you're waiting for updates, it was the same uh, the the day last year Tiger got in his car crash. It's like you're just sitting waiting for updates. I mean, you you truly don't know if this person and it's a person that you don't know, but you feel like you do know them. And, and, you know, they're not family, but it kind of feels like they are because, you know, the OSU family is such a thing. And you're just waiting on updates and the updates don't come. So finally, I went to sleep, woke up the next morning and saw that he was going to be okay, and that all the injuries were not life threatening uh, for him, for the other driver, which obviously was a huge deal. Um, It's just the whole scenario. You know, when you're 20, a lot of times you think you're invincible. And when you're AJ Ferrari, you probably think you're especially invincible because, I mean, anybody that walks up to you, you can just put them on their back and keep them there. So you probably feel extra invincible and you're not man, not behind the wheel of a car, not ever behind the wheel of a car and seeing those pictures of the car the next day, just totally burnt out to the frame and to think of what Casey Dunn did to run down there. And I mean, I don't think it's overstating it to say that AJ Ferrari might not survive that. If Casey Dunn doesn't just so happen to be in one of the cars that he was passing, it's just such a, a freak deal. And, uh, So, so glad everybody was okay, Carson. It's just that could have ended so differently, and we could be having such a different conversation right now. And, and yeah, the loss to Northern Iowa and Iowa State, that stuff's not fun, but throw that out, man. I mean, what a week for that program uh, for track and field with with the other young man that was in the car with him. It's just I'm so glad that they were okay, that Casey Dunn was there. Uh, I'm so glad that the driver in the other car was, was not seriously hurt. Uh, it, it's just for it to be that bad and to wind up the way it did is truly best case scenario. So, um, shout out to Casey Dunn. It's, uh, I was even, again, I was talking to Sam and Taylor and I'm like, how am I ever supposed to get on a microphone again and, and criticize, you know, this guy ran it here when I wanted him to throw it. it it's just, uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's some next level stuff that Casey Dunn did last week. So, uh, that that's the cowboy family. It's, uh, it, it's hard to explain.
1: Yeah, just a really remarkable story, and just, gosh, you're, you're so right. That, that could have ended very, very differently, very, very easily, which is just frightening. So, fortunately, everyone's okay, and, man, Casey Dunn uh, is, is big time. Uh, bullets and BBs time, Colby. What do you got for, uh, for a bullet this week?
0: Uh, bullets this week. I, I didn't really even think about this too much. I wasn't here last week, Carson. I'm just going to go right back to what we were just talking about. Uh, I'm sure you and Seth have already done this. He he deserves more. It's Casey Dunn. It's just I I can't physically imagine. I I don't know what I'd do in the same situation. I've never been in that situation. But, I mean, a car is on fire. Fuel, everything, that's so, so scary. And to risk your life to run down there and save somebody else's, um, that's just what more can you say? What more can you say? My bullet goes to Casey Dunn.
1: That's a good one. I can't really top that. Um, I'm going to go to the NFL, which you and I haven't talked about yet, but we'll get into shortly. Uh, I'm going with Matt Stafford. Again, this guy, like Barry Sanders before him, gets drafted to Detroit, has literally no chance to win at that franchise. Now he's going to the Super Bowl. And it's just its a huge reminder that as good of a college football player as you may be, where you get drafted to matters so much. Just imagine if Patrick Mahomes was drafted by the Jets. He would have very little chance to win anything just because that's who drafted him. And they passed on him. They had the opportunity to draft Patrick Mahomes. But he goes to the perfect place with Andy Reid running spread concepts. He's got Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. And so I thought a lot about that when, when Matthew Stafford made, made the Super Bowl. By all accounts, a great dude. His wife overcame a brain tumor, had to relearn how to walk. Uh, just another remarkable story of, of perseverance through a lot of pain and agony in Detroit. And I thought it was pretty cool that Matt Stafford made the Super Bowl. So that'll be my bullet for the week.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting that everybody's talking about Joe, Joe Burrow making the Super Bowl in his second year in the NFL. Matthew Stafford made a Super Bowl in his first year in the NFL. Carson, this is the first year of his career playing for an NFL franchise, and he made the Super Bowl. I think that's pretty cool. That's a good one. Did, uh, you, see the,
1: did you see the tweet that said that uh, with, with Matthew Stafford playing quarterback and Eminem performing at halftime, this is as close as the Detroit
0: Lions have ever been to a Super Bowl? Oh, that's so good, man. That's so good. And I don't even feel bad for dogging on the Lions because they truly took the greatest running back and one of the greatest receivers of all time – and made them both quit football.
1: so They literally retired so they didn't have to play for the Lions.
0: Yes, yes, and nobody blamed them. Everybody was just like, yeah, that tracks. Franchise is a joke. So uh, (laughs) shout out Detroit. Uh, BBs, Carson. BBs goes to every turnover, every bad look, every bad possession, every weak foul, everything that took place in that second half in Gainesville on Saturday. Carson, that was one of the most miserable halves of basketball I can ever remember watching to lead by 13 at half. And down the stretch, I mean, they're getting blown out of that game. Um, End up losing it by nine. Get outscored by 22 in the second half uh, and and give up 49 points in that half. Just an abysmal, abysmal performance from everyone involved. And, uh, I mean, after that half of basketball I watched on Saturday – I can understand why Boynton finally got to the point where he was ready to come out and call his guys out publicly. That was a miserable, miserable half of basketball. Uh, So everybody involved gets a BB for that. Yep.
1: I think that's a good one. Uh, I got to go with, um, let's see here. I hate to give it to someone affiliated with Oklahoma state, but I got, I got to go with Avery Anderson. Kind of the point I made before just this was supposed to be his team. This was supposed to be his year to be the Cade of this team and it's been up and down and I'm not necessarily saying it's all his fault, but uh, I I have to give a BB to somebody. And I just think that, you know, he drops 34 against Iowa state. They had every chance to win that game. If I'm not asking him to score 34 every night, but just be the the dynamic playmaker that he is. And this season's going to get a lot better for OSU. I do think they've played better throughout their three game losing streak than they were perhaps earlier in the season but they they need Avery Anderson, man. He scored three and nine points, respectively, the game's sandwiching the the game against Iowa State when he scored 34. That's just, OSU's going to lose if he's scoring three points. He scored three points uh, earlier in the season as well, two even at at one point this year. So I got to go with Avery. I don't like giving it to OSU players, but that's the best I got.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, it's hard to just not be critical after that second half Saturday. It's... It's the most overwhelming incident of just the wheels falling off, what was a good performance. In that first half, you know, you figured that shooting probably doesn't keep up because the shooting was so hot, but your defense doesn't have to totally go away. If Oklahoma State gives up the same amount of points in the second half that they gave up in the first half, they win the game. They win the game by eight points. It's just the defense went away. They were fouling. I, I know, You look, some people want to blame the refs. Oklahoma State was fouling. Oklahoma State was being lazy defensively and trying to catch up, and they were swinging their arms, and they were hacking. Yeah, they were a little whistle-happy. Florida shot 41 free throws. Oklahoma State was just foul, foul, foul. Rondell fouls out. Four for Bryce Thompson. Four for Moncrief. Four for Keelan Boone. Multiple guys with three. It was just the wheels fell off, Carson. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't blame you one bit. Uh, both of our BBs went there, and that seems like an appropriate place for them. We should have given Victor Hovlin a bullet. How about Victor winning? He's up to number three in the
1: world. He's won, what, four times in his last – or three times in the last five appearances. Uh, Victor Hovland should have got a bullet.
0: Carson, I'm assuming you haven't had time to listen to today's 73rd hole. So let me tell you about a very stupid bet that Sam Humphries and I made. And, I mean, this is a stupid bet. Uh, It'll also make your stomach turn a little bit because one side of this bet is is pretty disgusting. That's my side. So I've got Colin Morikawa. He's got Victor Hovland. Bet's running until June 1st. If either of these guys wins three tournaments by June 1st, then the other has to pay up. So it's a bet that's going to be very easy to tie, and that was for good reason because we we both kind of want it to be a tie. But if one of these guys goes on a crazy winning streak and does something epic, then you know what? We'll pay off the bet. So if Morikawa wins three times between now and June 1st, then Sam has to host me at Oak Tree National – And he has to do his least favorite thing in the world, which is walk the round of golf. He has to walk while I ride. So not only does he have to walk, but he has to watch me cruise around in a cart all day. Uh, And we have to do it in the summer when it's miserably, miserably hot. So that's if Morikawa wins three times between now and June 1st. And this is where it gets a little weird and a lot disgusting, Carson. I'm having a baby first week of April. If Victor Hovland wins three times, and this is PGA Tour only, PGA Tour Majors WGC, not DP World Tour. That was if my Victor next question. Hovland, if Victor Hovland wins three times between now and June 1st, I have to take a shot of my wife's breast milk, which the thought of it really cues my <laughs> gag reflex. Hopefully this bet is a tie because if either uh, one of them tie it off, it's going to be miserable. Come on, Sam bad idea right come on sam This is a family right? show here come on now i, I don't even know how it came up we were at the airport we're sleep deprived we're exhausted we're our flights delayed an hour because they accidentally put a thousand pounds too much fuel in the plane so we've got a 38 minute flight from dallas to oklahoma city on our layover that delayed an hour because they overfueled the plane And I don't even know how we got on the subject and we end up making this stupid bet because we're both degenerates who just like to have random action on stuff. So, first time one of those guys wins, little bit of nerves. Second time one of those guys wins, oh, man, it would be so nervous watching them tee it up at any other event. And I don't even know why I made this bet, Carson, because Hovland is arguably my favorite player in the world. Now I have to root against him for five months. So, Uh, Yeah, wish me luck, everybody.
1: They have to win three times. It's not a case where if Hovland wins twice and Morikawa only wins once, that Sam would win, right? Correct. No payouts if neither
0: guy wins three times.
1: That's a a lot of wins, especially the way golf is now. So you might be okay.
0: It is. I I think we're going to end up pushing because I doubt either one gets to three between now and then. That, that's kind of why we made the stakes so high is because, well, if one of them wins three times in five months on the PGA tour, that's pretty epic stuff. We'll pay off a, a ridiculous bet, but uh, hopefully, hopefully I don't have to pay that bet off because that just sounds pretty repulsive. That's a pretty, that's a pretty
1: uh, interesting way to, to pay off a bet. I'll just put it, I'll just leave it at that. That's a, uh, that's interesting stakes, but uh, I guess we'll, we'll worry about that when Victor gets to, to two wins,
0: I regretted uh, as, as I shook his hand. The moment it, I shook his hand, I regretted it.
1: Yeah, your your winnings are, are way better though. That's a that's a nice little deal at Oak Tree National. But you know, Victor and Matthew Wolf and Morikawa all came out at the same time, and a lot of people speculated that were close to OSU that Victor would have the better pro career, even though Wolf was the man, the individual national champion, uh, the player of the year, all those things. And we're starting to kind of see that. I, I've always kind of equated Matthew Wolf to like a Bubba Watson, where he'll win a bunch, but he'll do it in wild fashion, where he he won't. He either will win the tournament or miss the cut. Whereas Victor Hovland is, is showing that he is going to be Mister Consistency and just an, an ATM machine. Same with Colin Morikawa, obviously, who's who's really got a head start on both of those guys by winning two majors already, which. No one really saw that coming. Everyone kind of thought Hovland and Wolf were the two best. But I think it's interesting, Colby, the way Victor's playing now up to number three in the world, he's going to be a mainstay at the Ryder Cup. And he's, he's on track to win a major the way his career is tracking.
0: Yeah, he absolutely is. He's the third ranked player in the world, Carson. And, and it's odd you know, this stat I saw yesterday. It's such a good stat. Number one player in the world has won one time in 15 months. Number two player in the world ranks 205th out of 230 qualified players last year in putting and the number three ranked player in the world. And that's Victor Hovland has never won professionally in the United States. It's it. Golf is so deep and so talented right now. Even the guys at the very, very top have their, their flaws on their resume. Uh, Hovland, you know, He needs that big one, and he could get it this year. I I think that he's a real contender at St. Andrews. I think that course could set up very well for him. Uh, I, I think a U.S. Open at some point, the way he drives the ball, could be right up his alley. And, you know, even Southern, obviously he's comfortable around here. And I mean, the story of him winning at Southern would be unbelievable. If he was in the hunt, the support that he would get on that Sunday from what essentially would amount to a home crowd uh, would be unbelievable. So hopefully he hoists one sooner rather than later. But yeah, bullet to Victor Hovland, because I don't know if you knew this, Carson, number three in the world, highest ranking ever achieved by an Oklahoma State Cowboy. Is that right? Yep. Highest ever. Wow,
1: That's incredible. Yeah, Ricky got the six. Okay, I thought Ricky would be up there, too. Uh, did you know Victor doesn't have a top ten at a major yet? I, thought that was I did know that. I did
0: know that. I mean, he hasn't played in a ton. He still hasn't been out there that long. Uh, but, yeah, doesn't have one yet. That, that is all. The top Number ten. Number three player
1: in the world. That's, that's pretty shocking.
0: Yeah, I don't know if he wins one this year, but the whole no top tens in a major thing, I can say with almost 100% certainty that changes this year. He's just too good. Yeah. Which one do you think he wins first? I think he wins the Open first because it's not in the U.S.
1: Well, that's been proven. I mean, he did win in what? Was he, where's he won? Puerto Rico? Uh,
0: yeah, Puerto Rico. Um, Mexico. Let's see, Puerto Rico. Where was Cancun? Was Mayakoba, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and then he's won obviously. Uh, Saudi Arabia. Iran. Yep, yep. So, where's Tiger's turn? All international. Uh, Bahamas. Yep, he's one of the Bahamas as well. Okay, yeah. Man, he's
1: he's the island boy. Did you yeah. notice he's wearing green on Sundays, his last three wins? Maybe that's I his did. new tradition.
0: I did, yeah. that's. Uh, I'm, I'm here for it, you know. Ricky always wore the, the bright orange on Sunday, but Hovland seems to be going with kind of the, the olive green, kind of the muted green look, and I like it. If you're hoisting trophies, you can go with whatever color scheme you want.
1: Well, it's, it's, it's working. I mean, clearly that's a, becoming a, a uniform karma thing, which I'm big on, but I, I think he would, to me, he sets up best at Augusta. That's where length matters the most. Um, you can just bomb it down there. And he's he's shown through his, his match play prowess both at Oklahoma State and also in the USAM when he won like a million holes in a row. I thought that was always kind of funny to me, Colby. He struggled putting early in, early on in his pro career. It's like, guys, he's not a bad putter. Like, the guy won like 50 holes in a row at the USAM, was, ne- was never – never trailed you can't do that under those pressure circumstances if you're not at least a good putter or a decent putter at at worst and so i i've I've always kind of thought augusta would set up well for him he's already been the low am there uh made the cut uh that's that's kind of i think he might he might put a green jacket over the the green polo that he wears on sundays now
0: yeah i love him at augusta three plus years from now i I just think Every metric at Augusta just says, you know, you have to have three, four, five, six, seven trips under your belt before you really hoist that trophy. Not a lot of guys win it without a ton of experience on that That's course. We're, we're still waiting to see Rory win that tournament. JT hasn't won down there. It took DJ forever to win down there. Kepka hasn't won there. Rom hasn't won there. It, it's just... The most often that we see guys win at Augusta, we see a lot of 32, 33, 34 year olds win there. You just, it, it's, an, it's an experience course. So give me about three plus years, and then year in, year out, I think he starts to become a guy that gets a ton of looks at Augusta. Yeah, that'd be awesome.
1: Uh, with Super Bowl matchup set, I, I poured one out for your, uh, your Chiefs'
0: futures when they, they
1: went down in flames oh. to the Bengals. I hate to see oh.
0: that. Oh, my eight to one ticket on the chiefs goes up in flames. I thought their best opponent was behind them with the bills. Uh, just a total letdown half from the chiefs yesterday. It happens. That's football got away from what they were doing. Well, Bengals started dropping eight and uh, chiefs didn't adjust. Chiefs didn't run the ball against the three man front. Chiefs wanted to take deep shots against the three man front. Okay. That gets you beat by the Bengals. Uh, Joe Burrow, Evan McPherson has to be the greatest Amount of swag that a quarterback-kicker duo has ever had. That's not a duo that we talk about in terms of swag very often, Carson. But that's what that Bengals team has with Burrow and McPherson. They really do. Uh, I'm holding a Bengals
1: eighteen to one ticket, so I was kind of happy. Oh to see yeah, that yeah, nice. That's a now good... I don't now I don't know what to do. Here's our gambling aficionado, so the Rams are pretty sizable favorites on the money line. They're minus one ninety two.
0: What I'm looking at. How do I hedge this thing? It's it's really simple, Carson. At some point in this game, hopefully, you might not be able to hedge, but at some point in this game, you want to catch the Bengals up by a touchdown or you want to catch the Bengals on a heater at some point when they have all the momentum, and at that point, you go in, you live bet the Rams at plus money, and now you've hedged. Now, if the Rams come out and dominate the game from the start, you might not have that opportunity, but – I don't hedge on, like, a minus 190. In that situation, I hope that I can get plus odds live. Maybe the Bengals jump out 10 to nothing in the first quarter. If they do that, then you can probably get the Rams at plus money. That's how you hedge. If it doesn't work out that way, you just hold your 18-1 to one ticket and hold your breath.
1: Yeah, because I don't think they're beating the Rams. That's just a horrible matchup for them with Aaron <sighs> Donald on the D-line, Vaughn Miller, the way – the Bengals can't block anyone yet. They're in the Super Bowl, uh, but that that concerns me. But I, I like that advice because so, I don't – it's kind of hard to hedge it with how big of a favorite uh, L.A. is on the money line. So, uh, that, was, that was a huge letdown for the Chiefs. I think just you can trace it back to the way the first half ended, Colby. I mean, you have to throw the back shoulder pylon throw or the fade route to Kelsey. I, I would have thrown the back shoulder pile on to Tyreek – or the fade to Kelsey, don't you? I mean, what were they thinking, trying to throw it in the in the field of play to to, to Tyreek when obviously time ran out?
0: Yeah, that was just really truly dumbfounding, uh, especially from those coaches. I mean, Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, who everybody regard just as the highest offensive minds in the league. That's just such poor game management because it looks like they it looks like they snuck him out into the flat on purpose. They just didn't think Cincinnati was going to pick him up. I don't know. You've got everybody crowded in right there at the goal line. The only play there, Carson, is the same play that they beat the Bills on in overtime. Line Kelsey up wide right, get him one-on-one, chuck it up in the air. If he comes down with it, great. If not, you're up 24 to 10 at halftime. You don't do what you did. It was, it was some truly dumbfounding coaching right there from Kansas City.
1: Yeah, I think they just,
0: they, they kind of thought
1: they were invincible after the way they were able to beat Buffalo. They just kind of yeah. thought, hey, we're, we're up big in this game. I mean, you get the ball to start the second half, just kick a field goal, and then, boom, you can score a touchdown coming out of halftime or another field goal basically gets you to to seven, you know, to the touchdown that you were trying to get. So I just – the Chiefs shouldn't have been in that spot because there's no way the Bills should have given up the lead they gave up. But, man, (laughs) Patrick Mahomes is going to be kicking himself for the way that that game played out. It's just uh, pretty remarkable that, to me, in in a weird golfing analogy way, Colby – this kind of reminds me of Jordan Spieth only having one green jacket. It feels like he has about three of them, and it feels like the Chiefs should have three Super Bowl wins at this point, but they have one, and uh, that's, that's kind of the way sports work out sometimes.
0: Yeah, it's and, again, it makes, it makes Brady's stuff and the dynasty that they put together for so long that much more impressive. You look at the amount of talent that this Chiefs team has. I mean, pretty much four years in a row, essentially, they should have or were the favorites to win the Super Bowl. And they got one. They got one out of four. And who knows how long that core stays together? Because guess what the NFL has? The NFL's got a hard cap. You can't pay everybody. You just can't. Mahomes starts making that big salary. Tyreek, Kelsey, Frank Clark, Chris Jones. I mean, you've got some young guys on the defensive side of the ball. you got Tyron Matthew, Sneed, Bolton, some of these other guys. You can't pay everybody. So uh, I really hope that, look, Mahomes is so good and that core is so good. They're still going to be around but, man, they have let some really good teams come and go without hoisting trophies. And I've got a buddy who's a diehard Chiefs fan, and uh, he has been for a long time. This is not a, a bandwagon deal. He was a Chiefs fan uh, when Matt Castle was throwing touchdowns to Dwayne Bow. And I know that I, I even texted him earlier, and he's like, man, I, it just still hurts. I'm, I'm still really hurting today. So, uh, yeah, this one's going to be tough to get over for a long time for Chiefs fans. Hey, Flowers,
1: though, in the Super Bowl with Cincinnati. That's a a local tie there. So that's happy for Trey. Uh, He's stuck on with the Bengals, and um, it's going to be interesting. I think the Rams are sizable favorites for a reason, but uh, Joe Burrow, good luck betting against him. I mean, he's he's unbelievable. Uh, Anything else, Cole, before we get out of here?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, Chiefs were sizable favorites last weekend. Joe Burrow doesn't care about your lines. Neither does uh, Evan McPherson or any of those guys. So uh, good stuff. Hopefully, The Oklahoma State Cowboys answer the call of their head coach this week. He told them to go out and play some team basketball. He put them on blast publicly. I hope we see it Wednesday night.
1: Yep, I'm with you. Colby, we'll uh, we'll chat with you later in the week.
0: Absolutely. Good to be back. Go Pokes.